Welcome to the Not Old Better Show. I'm Paul Vogelsang, and this is episode number 403. As part of our Smithsonian Associates Art of Living series, our guest today is historian and filmmaker Paul Glenshaw. Paul Glenshaw is also an artist, author, and educator with more than 25 years' experience working across disciplines in the arts, history, and sciences. Paul Glenshaw will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates Art of Living series November 13th, 2019. So please check out our website for more details on Paul Glenshaw's Smithsonian Associates presentation entitled Orville Wright's Redemption, the story behind the first military airplane. Orville Wright had come to the U.S. Army in 1908 to demonstrate the Wright Flyer airplane for their first potential American customer after Wilbur had already made their public debut in France to wild acclaim. These were demonstrations that are now regarded as critical milestones in aviation history. After making several successful flights, Orville Wright crashed, resulting in the first airplane fatality. Paul Glenshaw tells a more personal story, that of Orville Wright's recovery after this fatal accident in 1908 at the same field that claimed the life of his passenger, the subsequent investigation into this crash, where the airplane crash landed, and local to DC landmarks. When, when the crash happened in 1908, there was a big investigation and a report made of how it happened, and they, they measured the exact spot where the airplane went down with recognizable landmarks. And using a map from the time that had a scale on it and marrying that up to the same scale of a Google Earth image, I was able to see where those points were. And then from that pinpoint was the spot where the airplane crashed. And when David McCullough was writing his book about the Wright brothers, um, he got uh, through some uh, various people, got in touch with me and he wanted to go to that spot. So I took David McCullough, I showed him the film and I took him to the spot, which is a a parking space at at Fort Myer. And he wanted to stand there and just take it in. And and that was quite neat to, to be able to do that. That, of course, is our guest today, historian and filmmaker Paul Glenshaw. Again, Paul Glenshaw will be presenting at Smithsonian Associates Art of Living series, Orville Wright's Redemption, the story behind the first military airplane, November 13th, 2019. Check out our website for more details, but Paul Glenshaw is here with us today, so please join me in welcoming to the Not Old Better Show via internet phone, Paul Glenshaw. Paul Glenshaw, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. This is exciting. I I really I love this subject. I want to get into it with you. I know you've got I know you've got a bunch of projects that are really cool and, and relevant for us to kind of talk about. But let's start with the upcoming Smithsonian Associates presentation. Tell us about that. On Wednesday, uh, the thirteenth of November, I will be presenting uh, at the Ripley Center um, the story of Orville Wright and the flights that he made right uh, close to Washington, D.C. at Fort Myer in 1908 and 1909. And that resulted in the the sale of the first military airplane in the world. And But it's really a, it's a very human story as well, because the very worst thing that the Wright brothers, that could have ever happened to them in their whole process of inventing and then marketing the airplane happened at Fort Myer, and that was there was a fatal accident, and Orville uh, was the pilot and his passenger was killed. And he came back the following year with his brother and a brand new airplane, 
and they successfully demonstrated this airplane and did get the sale. And what is extraordinary about this moment in 1909, when they came back and, and, and made these flights, is that it was captured on film. And I spent several years um, working with the footage um, and really taking it apart and then putting it back in the order it was originally shot and figuring that out. I got obsessed. I had to know. I wanted to know if there was a, if a story would come out of it on its own, and it did. And it basically shows Orville Wright coming back from this terrible moment, this terrible event, and really learning how to fly again and successfully achieving the goal that they set to set out to um to to reach which was the sale of this airplane to the military well tell us a little bit about the event that the fatality occurred and the impact on orville wright because it, it was significant in a very personal way it certainly was um the wright brothers as everybody knows the wright brothers were the inventors of the airplane and they uh you know december 17th 1903 in kitty hawk they made the first successful flights they experimented for two more years until they had an airplane that would stay in the air as long as it had gas in the tank, the first uh, practical airplane, which was their 1905 machine. And then they shut everything down. They stopped flying and they put the airplane away and they wouldn't show it to anyone, nor would they fly publicly until they had two things in hand. One was a patent that covered the control system of their aircraft, which is really what they felt they'd contributed the most to the science of, of aeronautics, um, the, the principles of the control of an airplane. And so having a patent and then having contracts, signed contracts with customers. So it took three years to get those two things in place. And the two customers they had were a group of French businessmen and the United States Army. The Army actually put out today what we would call an RFP for a flying machine. And um, it was really based on what the Wright brothers had claimed. And I think there were something like 40 applicants, um, even including a guy who was still in jail in Texas. And uh, three were accepted, uh, and only two showed up with anything. Orville showed up with a full airplane because they had one. And then another guy showed up with what he said were parts of an airplane that he was going to build, and that never materialized. But when Wilbur took off and just swept through these beautiful, coordinated turns with just you know what appeared to be the flick of his wrist and just flew with such command that you know everything opened up. And this is why the Wrights wanted the patent in the first place. As soon as they showed it, the genie would be out of the bottle. And so Orville came to Fort Myer to demonstrate the airplane in September of 1908. And the same thing happened here. You know, it's unbelievable. I often say, you know, imagine somebody de successfully demonstrating a time machine. This thing that has been science fiction for as long as, you know, humankind has been around that we could fly uh, is now real. And here it is. It is happening in front of us. Um, it's just, just an extraordinary thing. Um, but then, as I said, uh, this terrible thing did happen. There was a mechanical failure on the airplane. Um, the propellers were made out of pieces of laminated wood. Uh, the glue in the laminate failed, and the, the 
airplanes were so finely designed that they were perfectly balanced. And so the propeller got out of balance and the other propeller got out of balance and it clipped a control wire and uh, there was really nothing Orville could do. He, he felt if he'd had 20 more feet, it could have pulled out, but they went straight in. And he was very badly injured, uh, broken leg um, and other injuries. And his passenger, Lieutenant Thomas Selfridge, had a fractured skull and he died later that day. So it was, it was really, you know, the, the, they, they accepted the risk of flying. They had crashed every flying machine they'd ever built up to that point. Um, and they willfully risked their own necks. But that was, that was a chance that they took and understood. But that someone else would get killed um, was, was just something they, they obviously never wanted to happen. And, and it happened. And so it had a profound effect on him, um, although it's a testament to his fortitude because not only did he come back to the same place where this thing had happened, but he came back with a brand new airplane that he'd never flown before. The Wright brothers being the Wright brothers, um, you know, in a certain sense, it was all business. Um, they wanted to get, it was an incentive contract, incentive-based contract. So for every mile per hour over, over 40 miles per hour that they flew, which was the quality, the standard, they would get an extra $2,500. So they redesigned the airplane so it would be faster. So when Orville took off in 1909, not only had he not flown since the crash, he hadn't flown this airplane. And you can see it in the film. He takes off and the airplane is practically flying sideways. But a month later, when they're finishing the trials, he takes off and is banking into these incredibly tight turns and he's, he's fully back. And it's, it's really quite an extraordinary, um, you know, comeback. It's a great comeback story. Well, let's talk a little bit about the film then, because, um, yeah, I can hear it. I could just hear it in your voice that this was a, a process and uh, all-consuming. Um, so tell us a little bit about that and, and your ability to reconstruct this. Was, was the film uh, just of one of these demonstrations? Was it? Uh, is it of uh, a series of these demonstrations? Kind of how does the film even kind of come together so that you were able to create this this story? Yeah, uh, great question. So the footage that I first looked at is footage that comes from the National Archives. Um, it was it's you know it's well known footage for people who know things about early aviation history, um, and I you know I'd seen it um, you know in several places. It's often in aviation history documentaries and things like that. And, but I never really sat and looked at it all the way through. And when I did, I noticed all sorts of strange things happening. You know, the airplane comes out of the hangar and turns around. And then it does it again. For no, And in one shot, there's hardly anybody. In the next shot, there's tons of people. And it rolls down its, its launching track twice to take off, which it never did. And, you know, suddenly it's flying around the field and then it's back further away than where it started. All sorts of strange, it was this weird jumble of shots. <laughs> So um, thank you, digital uh, video editing. <laughs> it was very e it was easy to just cut the film, all the different parts of shots apart. And then I was just mixing and matching, and I was starting to see, hey, these two fit together, and these two fit together. And I started seeing little sequences coming together. And then I started doing things like looking at, I, I actually created a calendar of, 
uh, June and July 1909 when they were there. And I looked at when he flew and what he did. And I could start to see that he only flew twice with a passenger. And that was right at the end of the trial. So if there are two people on the airplane, they, they happened later. And then if so, if there's only one person, that's him. That was from before. And at the same time, I was working with an extraordinary group of uh, people out in Warrington, Virginia, called the Wright Experience. And these are people who build uh, and occasionally fly um, exact reproductions of their aircraft. And they have re-engineered uh, or reverse engineered, because um, the Wright brothers left no drawings, down to literally the wood screws, exactly how the Wright brothers built their airplanes. And so all of that primary research that they were doing and I was contributing to let us see the changes that the Wright brothers made to the airplane while it was at Fort Myer. And knowing when those changes happened, I could see where the different pieces of footage fit. So that was a big help. So, so it was piecing together, you know, and then looking at whatever records the Army had. It was, it was a lot of detective work. And I, and I and I fooled with this for like five years, uh-huh. off and on. Um, it became an obsession. Wow! And uh, <laughs> then the most extraordinary thing that happened was, uh, I, I got the archives footage into um, into sequence, and I could see you know what was shot first and and how it all worked. So I happened to be in Dayton, Ohio, um, and uh, was at the uh, Wright State University, which has an incredible archive of Wright Brothers materials. And I asked their wonderful archivist, Dawn Dewey, if she had any Fort Myer footage. And she said, well, we have the same thing as the archives has. And when I took my VHS copy home and looked at it, um, I couldn't believe it because there were no two frames that were the same as the uh, archives footage, number one. And number two, there were some of the same scenes were in the archive were the same as the arcade footage, but they were shot from different angles. So there were two cameras there. I found a whole other camera and I couldn't believe it. And it was that that made me ask, well, why was this movie shot in the first place? You know, you didn't, nobody had, you know, incredible cameras in their pockets like we do today. (laughs) Right. So, and shooting a film was a serious business. And I asked Dawn, and she said, well, I'll send you the contract. I was like, what? And she sent me a contract between Orville and Wilbur Wright and the Edison Manufacturing Company. The Wright brothers hired this other camera crew to come and shoot. And Edison got exclusive right to shoot these films, except for there's a carve-out for the United States government. So I pieced together that this archives camera was probably the army shooting footage. And then the Wright brothers hired their own camera. And there's an incredible word in the contract. And the word is marketing. So the Wright brothers, not only um, Edison gets this exclusive right and exchange, the Wright brothers get a royalty for every foot of film that Edison is showing in his theaters. Yeah. So that's one of the things that's amazing about this is when the Wright brothers present the airplane to the world, it's not just, hey, here's our invention. Isn't it wonderful and going to change everything? It's here's a product for sale. That's why they did it is they were selling the airplane and 
So they're using the media and film to help promote it. So it's, it's, it's all these things that we think of that are so common to us now, they were doing at the dawn of the 20th century. So it's, it's quite a remarkable confluence of these, of, of technology, of an approach to business, an approach to R&D. Um, and, and you got to imagine, that's why it's incredible to watch the footage and see Orville taking off in this plane in 1909. He hasn't flown in a year and there was a crash. He's never flown it before. He's the demonstration pilot. He's the test pilot. He and Wilbur are the sales reps. They're the builders and designers. I mean, they're everything. <laughs> and it's just amazing. So it's so putting it all together, I think, tells this there's a very human story to it. And then there's so much wonderful um, other archival uh, visual evidence that goes along with it. There were scores of photographers covering this event. It was a huge event in D.C. Um, you had to get these little tickets to come and see it. And because, you know, everybody wanted to see the airplane fly. And so huge crowds came out and they came by horseback. They came by bicycle. They came in cars. Um, a story I thought was apocryphal, but then turned out to be absolutely true, was Alice Roosevelt Longworth. would She was a huge fan of this whole thing. And she would drive to Fort Myer in her electric car. <laughs> <laughs> and the apocryphal story was that she invented the tailgate party there. She was serving drinks. <laughs> and I, I didn't really believe it until a photograph, uh, the Library of Congress digitizing their collection, there's a photograph of her sitting in the car with a beautiful wooden box and a thermos pouring drinks, and one of the guys waiting for uh, the drink is the Secretary of State. So it's, it's, you know, it's even down to the tailgate party, there's so much... Uh, that we that we're familiar with today that we can see, you know, our forebears doing <laughs> as well. <laughs> we're with Paul Glenshaw. Paul Glenshaw will be at the Smithsonian Associates November thirteenth, two thousand nineteen. So coming up, just really very very quickly, we're talking to Paul Glenshaw today about the Orville Wright Flyer and the story uh, behind these very first military airplanes of the Wright brothers. They're um, business savvy and. Uh, and, and sales ability, marketing ability. I, I think this is just a fascinating story, Paul Glenshaw. So I know you're very busy. We appreciate your time, certainly. I, I just have really one final question because there were, as I understand it in my research, there were three planes, there are, or there are three planes currently within the Smithsonian Museum archives. The technology was unique, but those planes are connected. And those planes are connected via the technology and and uh, the development uh, and also then lead to almost the rise of um, air, airline and, and airplane travel today. So maybe tell us about those three planes and how they're connected. And uh, Absolutely. So the, the um, Wright brothers, um, most of their airplanes are gone. Um, there's only six originals left in the world. And if you're an early airplane uh, fanatic as I am, um, Washington, D.C. is the place to be because there's three original Wright Brothers airplanes at the Air and Space Museum. Uh, of course, the famous 1903 Flyer um, is there, and the 1909 military airplane, the same airplane that is in this film, is 
at the Smithsonian. It actually entered the collection in 1911. That's how fast the technology grew. It went from being the first military airplane to being a museum piece in two years. Um, and then there's the 1911 Wright Model EX, which is also called the Vin Fizz. And this is the first airplane to fly from uh, uh, the East Coast to the West Coast to make the first transcontinental flight. Uh, certainly not nonstop. In fact, it was many, many stops and quite a few crashes. Um, so you can you can actually through those three airplanes you can trace, um, you know, the it's there's a there's a uh, six years between 1903 and 1909 where they're perfecting the airplane, they're getting their sales and marketing together, they're getting their contracts, they're successfully doing it, and then but only two years after. This airplane, you know, the 1909 airplane, it only had to fly for an hour and at 40 miles an hour. So that was that was that was the outer edge of what they wanted it to do, to having a, an airplane that flew all the way across the country. So it's it, it really gives a sense of the explosive growth of of aviation at that time. Fascinating. Paul Glenshaw, thank you so much for your time. I, I could talk to you for a long time. We'd love to have you back, too, because I know you're doing some other really interesting things, and maybe we'll save that. We'll, we'll use that as just uh, a, a little bit of a tease for a, a next program with you. But um, uh, again, you'll be at the Smithsonian Associates November 13th, and uh, we'll be talking about Orville Wright's redemption, the story behind the first military airplane, but Paul Glenshaw, thanks so much for your time. Good luck with everything. Thank you so much. Yes, I, I should have said I will be um, showing the film and narrating it live. Ah, fantastic. In the context of everything. And it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you, Paul. And oh, thank okay. you so much for having me. I, I really uh, appreciate it. My thanks to historian and filmmaker Paul Glenshaw for joining me today. Links and ticket details for Paul Glenshaw's Smithsonian Associates presentation, Orville Wright's Redemption, the story behind the first military airplane, will be available at the notalbetter.com website and the Smithsonian Associates website, all of which we'll link to. And thanks always to the wonderful Smithsonian team for all they do to support the show. Talk about better. The Not Old Better Show. Thanks, everybody. <laughs>